following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. All right, let's jump right in. We are now in the uh, third week of our On the Road with Jesus series. Um, And if you haven't been with us to hear what this is about, I'll just tell you briefly. It's a chance for us to imagine ourselves to be among the disciples of Jesus. So Jesus traveled around with with a a large group of followers and then a closer group of uh, special followers. I want us to imagine ourselves as uh, among those groups of people who went with Jesus and listened to him teaching and watched him interact with people and observed the healings and all the things that he did. So we think of ourselves as travelers with the teacher. Um, And uh, one of the things that I've been trying to stress so far in this series, and I'll continue to do so, is I want us not only to learn the lessons that we might learn from traveling around with Jesus, but I also want us to learn how to learn from Jesus. And, you know, for us, the primary way that we have access to Jesus is through the scriptures, right? That's the most obvious way, uh, at least. And so part of what I want to do in this series is help you um, read scripture differently or better or maybe even honestly just a little bit more, okay? Um, And I I want you to uh, be bold in that and realize that you don't have to be an expert to go a little deeper with scriptures. You just kind of have to make a a little bit of effort with it. And I have a... uh, Today... We're going to go all in on that, right? And I, I'm very hopeful that I've crafted this in a way that uh, people who really hate this kind of thing won't entirely hate this kind of thing today. Um, that's called a teaser. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But first, um, let me read today's gospel text, which is where we're going to be uh, spending our time during this whole s- series. Uh, this is Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? So, first things first. Yes, you heard a sermon about this very text not too long ago. Uh, while I was on sabbatical, Kristen Brown gave a great sermon on this exact parable on August 25th. And if you weren't here that day, as I wasn't here that day, I encourage you to do what I did and go find that sermon and listen to it. It's really good. Um, definitely worth your time. And if you were here that day, you're going to just be like so uh, expert. You're going to be so advanced in the part uh, of this service that follows very quickly after this introduction. All right. Here's what I want to do. I want to teach all of you a simple uh, but I think very powerful method for studying Scripture that I use myself when I'm looking at a passage uh, from the Bible and want to go a little deeper with it. 
I call it the quadrant method because we're going to make a a little plus sign on our paper and uh, have four quadrants, four lenses by which we um, interact with this text. Now, um, one of the reasons I like this is it's it's a mixture of left brain and right brain. So at Artisan, we have this really great, but quite odd, frankly, um, gathering of people who are like really artistic or really scientific. And we have some uh, special weirdos who are both of those things. Um, and I just love that about our community. When people ask me outside of this community, what's Artisan like? That's one of the first things I tell them. We have a lot of artists and scientists and... Um, Boy, that's fun. (laughs) So we have some right brain and some left brain. And we're going to go through the text using four different lenses. And yes, um, don't walk out on me when I say the following, but we are going to do this in groups. Okay. I know. I know. Introverts, introverts, you are my people. I see you. All right, please don't walk out. Please don't be doing what I would be doing even now, which would be planning my escape. Just hold on tight for a second. Like, I would be thinking, okay, he's going to break us into groups. People are going to be moving around. That's my chance. I'm out of here, okay? If you need to do that, I will not love you any less. But try to hang with me if you can. In fact, we'll even have a special introvert area, okay? Let's go with that back corner of the room, okay? All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to break you into groups. Uh, You're going to do that by yourself. I would like the groups to be roughly 6 to 10, so kind of like a, a... larger, small group, if you will. Uh, You are here, some of you, with families and children. I think that children of many different ages uh, can participate in this with you, so encourage them to do so. Um, But don't just make your family be the group. I want you to have some interaction with other people, okay? And you may want that too, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I'll give you a minute to um, find your group, and then uh, I'll tell you what, what we're going to do in those groups, okay? Uh, beyond the very top-level thing, which is that it's going to be four different lenses, four different ways of looking at the text together, okay? So the introvert zone is that back corner of the room. If you need to do this on your own and you don't want to, like, talk to other people about it, that's okay. Again, you're my people. But whoever's sitting back there now, if you're not one of those people, you're going to have to vacate that area. And then you can, you can turn your chairs around, groups of like six, but definitely not more than ten, okay? Six to ten. I'm going to give you two minutes to form your group, so you've got to move fast. We've got a lot to get through, okay? Go ahead and do that. All right, uh, I see that you're starting to get in your groups. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to go around the circle and name yourself and rhyme your name with a tropical fruit. No, I'm just kidding. But you, I should, you should like at least hear the names of the people in your group. So take 15 seconds and say the names of the people in your group. All right. Have you all introduced yourselves? All right. Do I need to do the kid thing? One, two, three. Eyes on me. Oh, that's good. I can tell this is going to be a rowdy crowd this morning. We're, we're definitely not going to be done in time for the Bills game, so. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to go? Here's what we'll do. Um, as I said, I have a four-stage kind of method here that I want us to go through. And my hope is that whether you are really experienced in studying the Bible or whether this is brand new to you, you'll be able to um, 
get some benefit from this and, and maybe even enjoy it. Um, so the first one is one that anybody can do, whether you've never opened the Bible before today or whether you're an expert, and that is to come up with some questions, all right? Now, you may already have started doing this in your mind as the text was read, but what questions do you have about this passage of Scripture? And here's the, here's the kind of like specific guidance I would give you. I would encourage you to find a good question, a a better question than the first one that might come to mind. Here's how I would judge that. If you have a question, the answer to which you can find on Google with very little effort, you need to do better. Okay? It's okay to ask that question because often that's the, the doorway into the deeper question. So for example, if you were reading a scripture text and it said that Jesus and his disciples went into Capernaum, you know, a, a proper noun, you might think to yourself, where's Capernaum? Okay, that's a Google question. You can find that very easily. The better question, which that question might actually lead you to, is what's the significance of, them, of these events taking place in Capernaum, right? Is Capernaum a village, a town, a city, a metropolis? What is it? Okay, so that's the kind of thing I would like you to do. Find the question and then maybe even find an even better question. And you, if you don't know a lot about scriptures, you are at an advantage here because you almost always will come up with a better question than the person who's already a Bible nerd, okay? So this is very important. Each one of these, I'm going to do the following thing. I'm going to give you like 30 seconds of silence, or as close as we ever get to it, where you, as an individual, can write down the starts of your thoughts, because some of those outward processors are going to just mow you right down if you don't do that. After 30 seconds, then you'll have three or four minutes to talk about it as a small group and then report back, okay? So, did you have a question about the questions? Okay. Yes, it's Luke 18, 1 through 8. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Luke 18, 1 through 8. There are red Bibles all around if you want to grab one, if you don't have one, or you could find it on your phone. So, uh, first with 30 seconds of, of quiet, and then as a small group, what questions do you have about this story? Ready? Go. Okay. Now turn to the group that you're with and have some sharing time. What questions did you come up with and, and respond to each other and, and just write them down on your pieces of paper if you have one, all right? So take a couple minutes and do that. All right. Let's share a little bit and I'll just kind of write some stuff down here on, on my whiteboard. What were some of the questions that you had? Um, what was a question that was shared in your group that you thought was really good? Go ahead. Somebody just either shout it out or wave your hand at me. Yes, go ahead. Like a dog. Right. Okay. Why is the judge that way? <laughs> That's the short version of what you said, right? Have no fear of God and no respect for persons, right? What happened to the judge that made him turn out that way? Good question. Yeah. Ah, who is the widow's opponent? Anybody else have that? So well, I asked the, don't tell the 9 a.m. service I said this, but you're way smarter than them already. Because I asked them how many characters there are in the story, and some of them said two, the widow and the judge. But let's not forget there's an opponent. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. And along with that... How do we know that the widow is the innocent one? Yes. Who, who's right, in other words, right? 
Yeah. Well, and you said innocent. I'll use your word. Yes. Uh, what's the significance of uh, being a widow? Uh, what's the significance of it being a widow? Yeah. I bet that will come up again in some of the other uh, quadrants. Let's do two more and then we'll move on. What was the process the widow should have followed? Ah. The, uh, the legal process? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the legal process that the widow should have followed, if not this? Yeah. And that would be a cultural question, wouldn't it? We'd have to kind of go beyond the words of Scripture to find out the... the possibly. I mean, there may be some regulations in the Hebrew Bible about that. We don't know. Or m- maybe some of us do, but I don't. It's kind of weird. I'm just going to put So... It feels like artists are saying, you know, you got to keep testing God because he will listen to us just to shut us off. Yeah. Yeah. And so did you have a question about that? <laughs> is, that, what, is, that what, is that what's is that what's going on here? Yeah. The, the judge basically gave him to work just to shut us off. Yeah. So that's what we do just, you know, like, just to keep us quiet and just keep on bothering him. just over every shots and out of so just to shut him off. Yeah, yeah. So the question you might be asking, Penny, is, I could hear that question two ways. One, one version of it might be, is the judge supposed to represent God? <laughs> and the second version of the question is, assuming that the judge is supposed to represent God, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's, is that a picture of God that we really like? Yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, okay, two more right in the middle here, and then we've, we've got to go on to the next one because we'll never finish. What, that was a question in the 9 a.m. service, too. Um, not until much later. It took you less time, of course. Um, what is that last sentence about? Yeah. Could you read it out for us so we remember what it is? Uh, and yet, I tell you, And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What is that all about? Well, I don't have time to answer it, or I would, but... Okay. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Ah, does the widow um, uh, fear God and respect people? Yeah. Good question. Thank you. All right. So there's lots more questions in the room, and I love that, but I do want to move on uh, to our next quadrant. So I'm going to go over here and ask you uh, to do this next one, which... Uh, in this case, unlike the first one, you might have a little bit of an advantage if you do know some more scripture, but please don't despair if you don't know a lot about the Bible or know a lot of other stories in the Bible. This is actually one of the best ways to start learning different stories of the Bible. So the second quadrant for us is connections to other scriptural texts, okay? Um, after all, we heard our epistle reading, which said that all scriptures God breathed are inspired and useful for teaching. So um, going to other places in Scripture can help us. And one of the rules of interpreting the Bible is that Scripture interprets Scripture. And so what questions, uh, excuse me, what connections do you see to other parts of the Bible? Um, once again, 30 seconds of relative silence for you to make your own notes, and then we'll turn to your group, okay? So go ahead, find some connections. All right, so you internal processors have had your head start. 
And now uh, discuss it with your group. Find some connections to other passages of Scripture. And again, no shame if you don't know any. Just listen and take it in. How about from a group that didn't share last time, you can start us off with what's a, what's a good connection you saw? Yes, go ahead, please, Anna. Um, the, uh, the verse starting from, um, and will not God grant justice, um, which is reminded me a lot of Matthew 6, 26 through 30, that it considered the lilies of the field. You know, if, if God does stuff for, for this, Yes, so there's that teaching of Jesus that says, don't worry about what you'll wear or what you'll eat. Um, God takes care of the birds and the, and the flowers and consider the lilies of the field, yes. And so he's uh, teaching in a similar vein perhaps here, reminding his disciples that God will grant them justice. Yes, thank you. That's a great connection. Yeah. Uh, the other parable where Jesus says, you know, who among you, if you're a child, okay. tells you the bread is And Jesus uses that same language. How much more, you know, will God grant you? Number four. Yes. Um, who among you, if your child comes and asks for bread, would give him a stone? Um, yeah. Um, and uses the same phrase, which is, um, how much more will God... Yes. Thank you. Great connection. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, widows. Very common in Jesus' parables and in Scripture as a whole, actually. This is one of the great uh, aspects of Kristen's sermon. She gave a, a nice summary of... Uh, where widows appear in Scripture. And then you, you might be inclined, sometimes what happens is you start doing connections and then you go back to a question. So one question I might have about widows is, how are widows typically portrayed in the Scriptures? And is this portrayal of a widow supposed to be consistent with that? Or is it supposed to flip the script for us? That's the kind of thing that might tell us more about the meaning of this teaching. I saw somebody over here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so that was essentially the Yeah, right. So widows typically are portrayed as having very little or no power, and judges are portrayed as having much power. And in this, the result of this one is that it seems to be backward, at least, yeah, from that typical portrayal. Um, yeah, and so as I would be looking through for connections, I might be inclined to start with um, the very book that I'm in right now or other books written by that person, which in the case of Luke is the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so you could get a picture. What does Luke think of judges? Doesn't seem to like them, actually. What does Luke think of widows? That kind of thing can be helpful. Um, And if you don't know how to do that, even if, again, you don't have a lot of experience or knowledge, you can use tools to help you find the answers to some of those things. So um, you could look up the word widow in a concordance, and every online Bible has that feature built into it. It's very easy to do, and you could find where else widows are mentioned in Scripture. In that case, you'd be setting yourself quite a task of study, but uh, it would be certainly a starting point. Um, Okay, any other connections that you want to make sure we don't miss? Go ahead. Okay. Oh, you're, you're uh, giving someone else's connection on their behalf. Yeah, so the connection between the chosen ones who cry out day and night and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Aha. Uh-huh. Actually, I'm in. Actually, I'm in. Okay, on your mark. Get set. 
<laughs> we have some kind of race happening up here in the front, and that's totally okay and fun. All right, any other connections before we move on? Go! The The woman searching for the lost coin and her persistence in that. You know what else is interesting to me about that story? Who did she celebrate with? All of her family members? No, she, she celebrated with her neighbors and friends. I wonder if maybe she was a widow. <laughs> yeah? It doesn't say that, but um, context clues can sometimes point us in that direction. All right. Connections are fun, uh, but let's move on to the third one, and I'm going to flip my board over in a minute. But the third one uh, is key words, all right? So um, how do you determine which words are key words in the passage? Well, there's a couple of ones. I mean, obviously, you can just from the context tell, uh, I need to know what this one means to understand what's going on here. But also, you could look to things like how frequently is the word used in the passage, And is it used in like high real estate locations in the passage? In other words, like right at a poignant moment in a story or um, in Jesus' explanation of it or something like that. So um, you can uh, just, just make a list of those words. You don't have to necessarily go find out what they mean. It would be a list that you would then want to study a little bit more deeply as you proceed through this, okay? So, um, you know what? I think this time you can probably skip the the solo work and just turn to your group and try to make a list of of keywords, um, you know, your top five words in the passage maybe, all right? Go ahead. All right, what am I putting on my list of keywords? What's your number one word? Let's see if there's a group that hasn't answered yet, but if not, I'll come back to you, okay? Keyword. Yeah, go ahead. Justice. Justice. How many of you had justice on your list? Good. What else? Widow. Yep. That's important. Did you say prayer? Who said that? Was the word prayer? Did I catch you right? Okay. Yep. We have at the very beginning of the parable um, Luke's explanation of the meaning, right? Which is kind of unusual. You don't always get that. This is a parable that teaches you to pray. Go ahead, Gianna. Sorry? Father. Father, yes. Oh, bother. I'm sorry. I don't think father appears in the text, actually. I, st- I studied it a little bit. Um, yeah, Dan. And yet. And yet. Those little words sometimes matter, don't they? Yeah. Penny? Will. Will. As in the question, will? It's a cliffhanger of a parable. It's a cliffhanger of a parable, yes. So, uh, may I read it as a rhetorical question, but you're saying, will he or won't he? Guess we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. There's a lot of I and me in the judge. I and me. Yes. Yep. And the judge was using those pronouns. Is that what you said? Yeah. What does that tell us about the judge, maybe? Narcissist. Sorry? Oh, narcissist. I didn't see that in the text. Were you shouting out that, a key word? <laughs> yeah, Colden. Yeah. Judge. Yep. 
and we'll put judge down here. All right, so here's, a, here's something that you could think about. Um, we are reading this text today in English, which is the first language for most of us in the room. And I want to stress, you could read the Bible in nothing other than your primary language for the rest of your life and still get a lot out of it. There's no requirement to go into other languages in order to understand Scripture. However, it's actually easier than you might think to do so, and the rewards can be significant for when you do that. So I'll tell you about a tool that I use. Uh, It's called Blue Letter Bible. And you can go to the website, blueletterbible.org, or you can download their app, I will say neither one offers a particularly wonderful user experience, um, but they are, it's a very powerful tool. And what, what Blue Letter Bible allows me to do, as somebody who studied Greek decades ago and doesn't remember a lick of it, is to find out um, what the original Greek words were that got translated into English. Now, why does that matter? Well, on one level it doesn't. You don't need that in order to get meaning out of this passage, but... Here's something that you would find if you did that. If you went into Luke 18 and uh, clicked on the tools button in Blue Letter Bible and found the Greek word that was translated into the English word justice, you would find that that word actually means vengeance. Ooh, yes, exactly, exactly. What's the difference between justice and vengeance? A lot, yes, yeah. We had an eight-year-old explain that in the 9 a.m. service very concisely, which is to say, uh, vengeance is when you're getting revenge on someone, you want to get them back for something they did to you, and justice is when you're punished fairly for something that you did. (laughs) That's pretty good, right, for an eight-year-old? Eight-year-olds, dude. I mean, um, so that's really interesting. And then also, um, I think it was bother... One of the words in there where the judge is saying, if, if this, it's not bother, it's a little bit later, it's wear me out. If I'm going to give her what she wants so that she doesn't wear me out by coming back here over and over again. Well, the language there is actually quite physical. And you may have seen a footnote if you're using in the Red Bibles. <laughs> it means like beat him up or slap him or give him a black eye or something, right? And so with that kind of language, maybe the widow's not looking quite so good in the story. And you wouldn't necessarily get that with English. So there's two things you can do. The easy thing is to find multiple translations of this text and compare them. The slightly more difficult thing, but still very uh, accessible and very much worth your time, is to find those original language words and go see where else they're used and what they might mean. All right? Okay. So that's keywords. We have one last um, section of our quadrant to fill. And this is for the very right-brained people, um, at least at first. And it's images and emotions, okay? In other words, where's the poetry in this text? What pictures do we get from reading it? What sounds or smells are are kind of, are we imagining when we read this, if any? And what emotion is present there? Now, you could be thinking about your own emotion. How does this make me feel? But if you haven't done the inner work to be ready to discuss your own feelings, you could instead ask, how do the people in the passage feel? Um, And if you wanted to be really especially uh, empathetic, you might ask yourself, how does someone who's a very different type of person with different experiences feel when they read this text? For me, as a white person who uh, has never had any contact with the legal system, I might think a certain way when I read the phrase, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. 
someone who is black and has had lots of uh, police contact, um, because we know that statistically they do, uh, someone who maybe has been convicted in the criminal justice system in an unjust way, maybe didn't commit the crime, maybe was punished too harshly for the crime they did commit, they're going to read this differently than I am, okay? So um, even if you don't want to deal with your own emotions, is what I'm saying, you might imagine the other emotions that are present in this, and then don't forget imagery too, because that's important for understanding, particularly for understanding poetic language, which is very common in the Bible. Um, okay, so once again, just dive right in with your group. You probably know each other well enough by now. Make space for the people who maybe are processing, but find, uh, make a list of imagery and emotions that are present in this text. Go. All right, uh, before we move on, please allow me to clarify something I said just a minute ago when I pointed out that um, African-American people have more contact with police. Um, what I mean by that is that they are stopped and frisked, that they are, uh, often have contact with police that's not justified, and that when they do, they uh, enter into a system where they are uh, treated differently and, and less fairly than uh, white people typically are. And I just want to be extremely clear that I was saying it that way, not the other way that that perhaps could have been interpreted. And if you are curious about the data on that, I would encourage you to read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. Um, uh, so, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that that was super clear. Now let's talk about images and emotions that we might find in this text. And I'll make a list up here. Who wants to go first? Okay. Yes, please. So, I was thinking about the widow. I'm feeling very vulnerable right now. Mm -hmm. Like, the despair and like, she's just coming back and trying to get yeah. Despair on the part of the widow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got a similar connection where I sense that the widow had this frustration and she felt spent and unheard mm. because she had to keep coming back. Frustration she spelt fen uh, spent and unheard. Wow, that's good. Uh, the image that I noticed is that the judges, the judge has an internal response. Apart from the widow, he's thinking to himself, and that's when he changes his mind. He doesn't actually say it to the widow. Yeah, so the image maybe of the judge um, pondering the situation. Yeah, he has this inner monologue, if you will. Yep. Um. And then it's got this really like desperate situation, and and it's asking about finding, having faith. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. So we have despair in the story, but we also have hope. And you said it's bookended with hope. Thank you. Uh, this whole um, image right of this sandpaper is very abrasive mm. and exasperating. Uh huh. Sandpaper, which is abrasive and exasperating. Good, thank you. It's just really, really frustrating. Yeah. Something about the story is really frustrating. Everything about Every the story is frustrating. Yeah. For the way it's written, mm -hmm. and the, the use of pronouns, who is the key in verse 8. Everything about this just sets my key on it. Yeah, yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, one of the reasons that I think it's worth 
spending time studying Scripture like this is because sometimes it does evoke that response from us where everything about it frustrates us. Um, I wish I was joking about the 9 a.m. service earlier, but I wish you could have been here to hear the very last thing that was said this morning, which is basically that like um, Jesus is saying that God is better than this unjust judge, but I see injustice all the time in the world, and people cry out to God day and night, and they don't get what they're asking for. So what about that? And I was like, well, uh, that's all the time we have today, you know. Um, yeah, but I mean, but you don't get there necessarily unless you stop and spend some time with it. Um, which is not to say, by the way, that you have to have 45 minutes of study available to you before it's worth taking time with the scriptures. I very much want you to know that I think you could do this uh, even with just a few minutes a day. You could take this text and before you go to work on Monday or whatever it would be, whatever you have five minutes, you could do the first quadrant. And then three days later, when you have a spare five minutes, you could do the next quadrant. And you really can do this in pieces. There's no blue ribbon for getting, blasting through the whole Bible in no time. Dedicate yourself to it and give it what you can give it and it will kind of return depth of meaning for you. Um, my marker just died, which means we probably should be getting to, uh, and also the clock is telling us that it's time to, to wrap this up probably. Um, <clears throat> this is the last thing I guess I'll say for, for today. Sometimes you do this and you come to the end of it and you go, wow, I just had a, an incredible experience, this new conclusion that I've just drawn from this text. I've never seen it before. And the way these things are all interacting with each other, the questions made me have more connections, and the connections made me think of keywords, and the keywords made me ask more questions, and suddenly I'm having angels swirling around my head. And I, it, Sometimes that's your experience, <laughs> but it's not always your experience. Sometimes your experience is, I can't spend another minute with, minute with this because I'm getting so frustrated by it. And I want to validate both of those experiences with the text and tell you that both of those can get you closer to God um, and encourage you not to give up uh, if, you, if, you feel, if you have one that doesn't feel like super insightful or whatever. Um, keep at it. Keep working. All right. Thank you all for sharing. Um, I really enjoyed hearing your perspectives on this, and I hope that this is something that you will try on your own uh, at some point before too long. Uh, so... We're uh, running a little bit late on time, so I'm just going to invite you once again to come, uh, as we always do, following the, the proclamation of the word to our communion table. Uh, here is the presence of Jesus the Savior, uh, and it's his table. And I'm struck by this image of the table lately because when we come to the table and eat with our family or friends, we don't always get along. Sometimes we actually argue with each other, and yet there's still nourishment to be had. So... Um, if that's worthwhile to you today, maybe you come to this table um, like the widow, wanting to bruise somebody or having been bruised by someone. I hope that this will be healing for you and nourishment for your souls. We're going to continue to sing too, of course, uh, and so our table's open. Come if you will. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.